Welcome to Hot Plate, a post-foodie podcast. I'm your host, Mirella Amato. Today on Hot Plate, coming to you from the isolation of our homes, an air conditioner in your plate with Angela Warburton, the case for picky eaters, and gin regions of Scotland. Hello, Joshna. Hey, Mirella. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you? I'm very well. Uh, there, there's a newly acquired air conditioner in this apartment, and my quality oh. of life has significantly boosted. Uh, it's oh. been like I tend, I try not to be so hung up on things, but man, this thing is providing solid happiness right now. Oh, I'm jealous. I'm, I'm not there yet. Uh, it's, uh, it's really. I, I, I went for it. It's a mega purchase. But holy smokes, with the humidity that we can cook up in the city, this is really helpful. You know what I've been into, though? Tell me. Ever since our flower power episode, I have been on a mission to perfect my cold brew coffee. Oh, oh, uh, I was thinking about you, actually, when I was making some and I just cheaped out and I put remainder of my hot brew coffee in the fridge. Uh, but I, I know, I know, I know. I need to get all the acids in the hole. I need That's to get right. them out of there. I need to get the smoother, beautiful, cold version. Uh, well, I need- to assist you on your journey, I have found the perfect proportions. Oh, because remember, we didn't have the perfect it. proportions from it. the yes. last episode. Okay. So what I have found is 150 grams yep. of ground. So, okay. so weigh it after you've ground it okay. into, into five cups. Works really well. Five cups of water. Okay. Just at room temperature, you need some kind of coffee filter. I have a cloth filter that I use, but I'm sure a okay. normal okay. filter would work. You just let it sit for 24 hours, strain it out. 24 hours, okay. Mm-hmm. I love uh, another thing set up on my counter. Amazing. And and then that'll it'll last over a week in your fridge oh, easily. Um, yeah, and just keep in mind that the normal way to serve it would be to cut it 50-50 with water. Okay, good. So it so is the, a concentrate. Got it. Yeah. So the trick is not to cut it before you put it in the fridge. If you cut it before you put it in the fridge, then um, it doesn't last as well. Apparently. It's more vulnerable. Yes. 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 And oh, that's just so as, great. I've been as my hot thing. tip to you, Let's I cut it fifty-fifty with milk instead of Ooh, with water. Oh, it is so there. good. Yeah. Because if have... you go to a cold brew shop, they will mix the diluted yes, yes, with yes, the milk. Yes. 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 It's not the same. So I'm excited. We have a guest in today. We have a guest, and that's actually lends the conversation. It's flowing very beautifully into this. I know. Topic. Speaking of uh, keeping cool in the summer months, yes. our guest is Angela Warburton. Angela is a, tri- a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner who works to bring ancient wisdom of Eastern medicine to the modern world in an accessible and easy to integrate way. She works with individuals, groups, and organizations to help people cultivate a deeper understanding and relationship with themselves, but also the world around them. And her deep love of food, food culture, and understanding the ways in which food grow, is grown, sourced, delivered, and consumed are key influences in her clinical practice and her daily life. Thanks for joining us. Hello. Hello. It's my pleasure to be here. I love talking about food so much, <laughs> always. And it's such a delight to be with you. So happy to be here. So Angela, we brought you in today because a few weeks ago I was complaining to Joshna about the heat, uh, which is, you know, pretty much what I've been doing every time I talk to anyone. (laughs) (laughs) But Joshna actually proposed some foods that I could eat that would help cool me. 
And I was really intrigued by this idea. And I know that it comes from the work that the two of you do together. So we thought it'd be really fun to have you on to learn more about these cooling foods. Yeah, great. so great. Um, it's, it's such a joy to talk about this because a lot of times we don't think of cooling foods in, we, we tend to think of it as like, food out of the fridge, food out of the freezer. It's going to be cold in temperature, like as in it, like right out of the fridge cold uh, versus what's grown around us. So nature tends, it has this magic ability of balancing out what we need for each season. So basically foods grown in the summer are going to naturally cool us down. Foods that are grown in like the fall and like later in the year, they're going to have a more warming component to it because we're going to need more warmth as the season goes on. And so um, when we eat seasonally, we're going to actually work to balance our body naturally as opposed to when we, you know, it's February, we go to the supermarket and we can get, you know, pineapple, tropical fruits, uh, we can get salad greens any time of year, which, you know, it's great that we have access to all that stuff. But what we're actually doing is cooling our body in a time when it's actually very cold outside. So we're sort of, we're throwing our system more off balance. And so, um, and just, it's so, when I talk with people about this, it's really logical when you think about um, eating certain foods. Like if you think of cucumber and slicing a piece of cucumber or biting into watermelon, you naturally feel that coolness, that refreshing, thirst quenching moisture that comes from eating those versus, you know, chomping in on a piece of ginger in the summer. It doesn't feel as good. It's just too much. Like it's naturally warm in property. Does that make sense? Heating. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I, I, what I love so much about this, Angela, when we, when I first was introduced to this is that it really reveals the, the madness of the new year's juice cleanse. Yes. Right. It is like the the beginning of January is a terrible time to start just drinking fruit juice when you think, you know, if you sort of reorient yourself this way and you're like, no wonder these things don't work. Right. No wonder this doesn't stick because it is just you're you're pushing against the current of the natural energy that's already happening. Right. Uh, like, and this is such a problem. We sort of forget what we've like, we go to our mind to say, this is good. It should feel good right. versus how does it, and this is what, I mean, Joshua would know this working with me for so long. Like she says, is this good for me? I'm like, well, how does it feel when you eat it? Because oh my God. When, every yeah. time <laughs> yeah, when, when we I eat- just was like, tell me what to eat. She would, she would not she would like <laughs> try it, see how it feels, try it, see how it feels. Yeah. Yeah, because it's hard it's, to be that in tune sometimes. It is. And I don't do oh, that to yeah. everyone right off the bat. I mean, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I said I help people a little bit more than that. But it is true. Like, the, I think, you know, the regular conversations of smoothies for people when they've got, you know, they feel bloated and tired and their stomach's not feeling great. And they're like, well, it can't be the smoothie because that's good for me. And we have to get away from this idea of good food or bad food. It's just mm. about balancing the person or balancing the season. And so when we look at, you know, two people are going to have very different diets or, you know, somewhere in the the Northern Hemisphere and Southern Hemisphere are going to have different diets at the different times at the same time of the year because the weather is different. And so when we look to what's grown, like it's really interesting, foods that are grown really fast. So, you know, how think how fast lettuce comes up or the first things that come out in the summer, they tend to be naturally cooling. And they tend to have a lot of moisture in them. And you can you can see, you know, if you want, if just a quick way to figure out what what's this food going to do to me. Like, if you cook 
zucchini or spinach, there's a lot of moisture that comes out of them. So they're really good for dryness or thirst or when you're dehydrated or like you're sweating out a lot of fluids, they're going to put a lot of that fluid back inside of you. Um, and so when you sort of listen to your body, like by balancing it out. So those foods that are grown really quickly naturally tend to be really cooling foods that take a long time to grow. So if you get into like the, you know, sweet potatoes or yams or beets or things like that, that come in more fall or late fall, they are, um, they have take longer to grow. They have a lot more energy and a lot more, um, we'd say chi sort of energy in them. And we need more in the winter. We need to stay warm. It takes a lot, a lot more energy to do that. So sort of looking at it differently. And when we cook foods, the longer we cook foods, the more heat we're putting into the food as well. Does that make sense? Angela, I feel like it's, a, it's more than water content though, because, uh, you know, Joshua gave me this list. And since she gave me this list, I've been adding berries whenever I drink water. Yep. Yeah. I add the berries to the water. And then um, once the water's done, I eat the berries. And I, it, it does feel like it is actually cooling. Yeah, they are. Yeah, it's not just being hydrating. A hundred percent. I was just using one example of food can mm-hmm. either be moistening, it can be drying, it can be cooling, it can be um, you know, circulating. So there are certain foods that will help energy move in the body. So when we're really irritable or something like that, we can have certain foods and they're gonna help. Oh, uh, what are those foods? Yeah, those <laughs> <laughs> tell me about those. Uh, mint <laughs> is probably one of the best ones. Mint will it cools. So it, it's I say if you're hot and bothered, like have mints it's going to be it circulates it cools things down it goes we say um it goes directly to the liver system in chinese medicine so that's could be your physical liver but it's also the system where irritation and and agitation will kind of show its rear its head a little bit more so if um it also great for headaches you know if people who get occipital headaches or feel real a lot of tightness in their shoulders mint's Mm -hmm. really great for that so you can eat it you can smell it you can do all that that will help with it Angela, will it also, will a topical application work? Yeah. If you had a little minty balm on your temples or on the back of your neck and shoulders, will that be, will that be effective the same way? Absolutely. And you probably have noticed if you've ever put some mint rub on your back, it feels really cool like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So, so absolutely. The berries, like the summer produce, all of it tends to have this naturally cool cooling um, effect on the body. No, and I just wanted to ask, so you sent us some information on mm-hmm. these cooling foods and a lot, a lot on the list and many of the things you mentioned today, just they almost do seem like common sense, you know, things like watermelon, berries and cucumber. Also right. like the mint and cilantro really resonated with me. I think of them yeah. as summer foods, but there's one food that on the list that struck me. I don't, I don't know if you're able to address it, but one of the foods was duck. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, oily, an oily, oily. I know, right? It yeah, just yeah, yeah. seemed like it was on the opposite. That's a good question. What's happening there? That's a good it was question. happening with the duck. Well, it's interesting. There are meats uh, tend to be more building. They tend to be a little more warming, but they're within the meat family. There are ones that are on the cooling side and then ones that are more on the warming side, like lamb tends to be rarely warming meat. Um, there's, I'll just sort of a little story about the different, um, properties of them. I was talking with a chef actually who was working up in the Arctic and he was allowed to bring anything he wanted in to, uh, to serve people. And so he was doing some kind of crazy stuff like ward, order, like ordering watermelons to go up and eat that. And I was talking to him about these different properties. He's like, Oh my God, that makes so much sense. He said, I had a bit of seal meat 
And he said, as soon as I ate it, it felt like someone has set off a small fire in my stomach and I could feel the warmth going out all uh-huh. through my body. And you think that where an animal is uh, raised or what that sort of nature's or properties, ducks are in water, they're sort of cooler. It's, it's not as heating as some of the other ones as well. Um, so, you know, it's some of it, you are not going to eat raw duck, you know, you're going to cook it. It's going to add warmth to it and that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, each different, each food has its unique combination of flavor, uh, temperature, and then that's going to have effect on the body. So we would say something like that. If someone's really runs hot, not only in the summer, but someone who's, and heat's going to show up in the body in various ways. It's going to show up through redness. So we know if we're hot, we tend to get red cheeks. It can show up in, if someone's got Mm. a lot of internal heat, it's going to have like redness in their eyes. We do a lot of tongue diagnosis. So looking at the color, the shape, the coating of the tongue, someone who's got a lot of internal heat, they're going to have a really red tongue. And so someone who's, um, they're also going to, you know, feel a lot worse than in hot weather. But tell, tell us, tell our listeners then what is actually happening when you drink a cold, icy thing. Right. The, the, the urge yeah. and the instinct moment is to fill a glass with ice and pour something on top and just enjoy the relief that that appears to be coming from this. Yeah. What is actually going on on the inside when we do that? Well, when you think what happens in the summer, we're hot, our pores open up because we want the heat to get out of us. So um, we want to sweat it out because when we sweat, we naturally cool down. And that's why. Um, uh, you know, you go some places where, you know, in the Caribbean or something, you might have spicy food, which is hot, but it actually is going to cause us to sweat, which is ultimately going to cause us to cool down. Um, but what happens when we have, yeah, so, you know, there's a difference that's where we say there's a difference between warm and hot, warm foods are just going to heat you up inside hot foods that, and the pun, we talk about flavors. We can talk about that in a little bit. I'll explain, but they move energy up and out of the body. So, um, we're like salty foods are going to bring the energy in and down. And that's why in the winter we have a lot more salty foods because we want to keep our energy in. We don't want to sweat it out in the winter. We want to actually keep all the hot, the heat and the warmth and the energy inside. So we don't want to have a lot of salty foods in the summer because that's going to trap all that heat in. So as far as eating or drinking, you know, ice cream or frozen drinks or icy, you know, ice cold beers, what actually happens is when we have something cold, it constricts and it blocks, it stops things from moving up and out. So we might feel cooler momentarily, but the, the, um, all that cold is going to be blocked inside of us. And it, and another thing that this is what come, I see a lot in the clinic, uh, is it actually stops and impedes the digestive function. So everything that we eat, basically, once we put it in our stomach, our stomach has to warm it up above body temperature. Um, it needs to break it down into a soupy medium. And when it, heats up, the digestive enzymes are going to kick in. And then our body works on breaking that down Mm -hmm. and then absorbing it. When we add something cold, it's kind of like you want to cook a soup and you keep putting ice blocks in it. So the soup's never really going to properly cook. It's just going to... So then your body's working harder then. Totally. Yes. So that's the people who get really bloated after they eat, they get tired, they might get like a lot of phlegm or congestion, they might have loose bowels, like all that kind of stuff. That's going to be your stomach isn't able to absorb what you're putting in. And so if you're having raw salad, or, you know, fresh, cold, raw stuff in January, and you're feeling that or smoothies right out of the gate in the morning, and you don't feel well, that's probably what's happening is too much, your stomach's getting a little shocked, and you're shutting it down. So and just in the summer, if a cold beer feels great, 
um, you just want to watch how you feel after you have it or have something else with it that's going to balance it out or have it not icy cold and have it more. Um, I, one of my colleagues, we, when he went to China, they'd never serve him cold beer because they're like, no, it's bad for your stomach. So we have all this room, te- room temperature beer. He's like, gosh, it's not the same. But uh, yeah, that's kind of what will happen. That's so interesting because my I, I've been drinking ice water, but my partner swears by hot water in the hot weather. And now I understand it's going to make you sweat. Even room temperature, right? You're going to get more, you're going to absorb more of the water. You're going to get, your thirst is going to be quenched and you're going to be able to keep sweating it out and cool down even more. Wow. And and it's true that it doesn't feel good. Right. Like I have noticed that my stomach will get upset if I have too much ice water or if I have cold. And it make, when, you th- when you think, I think that this is the main, like when people actually think about it, you know, in, in February here when it's minus 20 and it's freezing and you go into a, a restaurant and, you know, you sit down and they give you a glass of ice water. It's like, I, why am I doing that? Because I'm, it's freezing out and I don't want to be freezing inside of me too. I want to be, but yeah, we just do it because that we think it's refreshing or um, you know, all those things, but it's, but usually what I find when in chatting with people are like exactly what Joshna said, or you, well, you just said, like, it's, it's, I don't know, it's right. It doesn't feel great. Right. Why am I doing that? I did notice that the list suggested that we eat pungent foods. And I was right. struck by this word pungent. It did say to reduce bitter flavors, which is maybe where my mind would have gone with pungent. So I was just wondering if you can elaborate more on what that means, what a yeah. pungent food would be. For sure. Yeah. So we, so I mentioned before the, the five flavors that we have that we tend to use in, in Chinese medicine. So there's bitter, sour, um, sweet, salty, and then this aromatic or pungent, they're sort of one category together. And when we look at the, what these flavors do, so I mentioned salt goes in and down, um, sour, when you think of sucking on a lemon or something, it goes in, right? We get all the energy constriction goes in and down, uh, pungent, uh, or aromatic. So those are a lot of like the mint would be in an aromatic or a pungent could be a spi- like the spicy foods and things would be in that category too. Mm. They go up and out. And so that will bring the energy. So in the winter, we want the energy to go in and down, stay inside. In the summer, we need it to go up and out of our body. And so when we have more pungent foods, we're actually helping our body cool down by making sure everything's circulating and the thing like getting the heat out of us. That makes sense? Right. So some examples would be mint. Uh, you said spicy food. Yeah. Like the, the, um, you know, the, the light that, yeah. So, so spicy food, like the hot peppers, they would be in that care that category as well. Um, a lot of the like basil or, um, like some, a lot of the fresh herbs have that sort of aromatic kind of the ones that are de- when you're cooking, they're very delicate. You want to be um, okay. Okay. Yeah. That would be, so they're going to, and again, you can think about how you feel when you have something, right? So if you have, you chew on a piece of mint, it immediately makes your head feel kind of open and clear headed in that way. Like we use chrysanthemum a lot and it's one, um, it's a, uh, flower, but it goes up to the eyes. It moves up in the body. So we direct the energy of food. And that's why this is one of the things I love. And Josh and I have talked a lot about this with traditional cultures. Usually you and meals, you have all the different flavors at the table a lot where you, it's going to, it's going to circulate the energy. You're going to warm things up, but it's going to be a nice balance to things. And then in the, you know, in the winter, you might have more warming foods and the summer you might have more fresh, fresh foods and stuff like that. But it's really about 
that aromatic or the pungent is bringing things out of the body so you can sweat. It, it really makes you rethink the summertime basil pesto. Right. Yes. Right? right. You're like, there's, there's, and to realize that there's intelligence there beyond just what tastes good. Uh, and that, I love that. And you start thinking about how, you know, just thinking about what is seasonal food and, you know, and what grows well together, you know, what, what is harvested at the same time. It all starts to make perfect sense, right? Right. Because these are all shift. things that grow right now. That's it. The, the basil and the, you know, it's a, the t- everything that Angela mentioned is all, it's all growing right now in my garden. So exactly. Uh, it, it all ties together. Yeah. And you think it's really interesting to see too, like the things that grow well beside each other, like nature's just so smart. I know we had a bit of a, an outbreak of poison ivy in our household a while ago. And uh, the, the natural antidote is jewelweed, which actually grows right beside the poison ivy. Like, is that the truth? Yeah. Huh. I love when people get curious about it. They try it because it has been around for thousands of years and it is so logical. And I think we are so smart and we use our heads, but when we're told something's good, we, we forget to listen to our bodies sometimes. And it's just like, try it, see how it feels. And then, um, and, and then it just makes it a lot easier to integrate and to like, Oh, what do I feel like having? And then let, once you have the sort of experience of what foods do, then it makes it a lot easier too. Uh, beyond food, do you have any, uh, wisdom from your, uh, your training, Angela, other things we can do to keep cool in this, in this hot weather? Right. Yeah. Um, for sure. I mean, I think food is probably one of, we always say food first, then medicine. So, um, Mm -hmm. food definitely will help. I mean, just, you know, not pushing through, in the midday, taking naps, you know, that kind of stuff can actually help your body cool down. I think we have a bit of a oh, really? go. Yeah. So, you know, up mm-hmm. early, you can, the, in the summer, we, you know, you're up early and up late, but if you rest the good old siesta, bring it back. But those peak times in the day, just rest or nap or whatever, lie down, not trying to do too much. That can be super replenishing and help your body to, uh, to rebalance as well. And with COVID, it's possible. It's right, right, right. right? Oh, I'm at home. Okay, I can do this. Yes. I can know. get her up earlier and take reworking a nap. for summer naps. I love that. Yeah, exactly. It's permission. I get the people come out sometimes of, uh, from from sessions, and they're like, "I just got a prescription to take a nap. Like that's probably yeah. really good." Um, we have we do use a lot of acupuncture or acupressure points that are helpful to cool down. Um, which I can't really show you now, but we use a lot of those. Um, you know, just just cool, like not having overly, you know, hot showers, believe it. So you're going to sweat out more as much as it feels like it will heat you up. You're going to sweat out a lot and then just finish cool kind of. That will help a little bit. To, again, getting Also counterintuitive heat. and good mm-hmm. to know. Yeah. yeah, because what happens, you know, again, that idea when we're icy cold shower, it sh- close your, closes your pores. So then the heat has nowhere to go and it just locks it in. So, you know, quick. You get that like moment temper. when you step out of the cold shower and the water just turns to sweat. Yes, like, exactly. That, that didn't work. <laughs> There's, hold on a second. So yeah, you might do, start, you know, have a bit of a hot shower, sweat, and then finish with neutral or something like that. And that might right. be a little bit better. Um, but yeah, big fan of just putting, putting food in your water. It helps you absorb a little bit more too. Sometimes um, just straight water goes through people. So just putting, um, you know, the mint or the cucumber or making like doing a blend, putting some watermelon in just a little bit in there and blending it tends to, your body tends to absorb it a lot better and cools you down. Little things oh, like so that. So you advise blending it right in? Sometimes, like yeah. Like agua fresca, agua yeah, fresca style. Yeah, yep. Okay. Because 
I've just been popping it in and sort of biting as I go, but I can certainly blend. Yeah, okay. also good. I mean, that that is nice. But that when you have a little bit of a sugar, it's kind of like electrolyte drinks, right? You can put a teeny, if you're sweating a ton, you can put a tiny, tiny, tiny little bit of sea salt in because we know the salt okay. is not, but it gives you back those right. minerals and then just blend it up. And that just helps your body absorb it. But thank you so much for sharing all this information with us, Angela. This has been fantastic. It's a pleasure having you on. My pleasure. Thank you. Every time I hear it, it's I'm, I get renewed bit of wisdom about another little bit that I'm remembering and taking back. Thanks so much, Angela. It's always lovely You're to welcome. have you teach us about this. Josh, now here's something exciting. Yes. We received a tip on an article from a listener. Ooh, oh, I love this. Yes. Uh, I hope I'm saying her name properly. It's Lydia Perovich. Lydia. And uh, it's, it's a great read. So I'm really glad she brought it to our attention. The article is, was essentially written in defense of adults who are picky eaters. Yes. And in this article, a woman describes her husband's extremely limited diet, mm-hmm. which is a combination of, he has some fa- uh, allergies, but it's mostly food aversions. Right. And uh, he only eats 14 foods. And I love and- this. And she makes a case for it not being so bad. Mm -hmm. It was this, a piece was very challenging for me to read. And I was very, I was grateful for the challenge. Uh, Right. Because I found my instinct was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Uh, Right. But I had to, by the end of it, I had to be honest with myself and admit that I can become a bully about stuff like this and pushing people with, you know, just like, just open your mind, open your heart. Yeah. Like, well, I think there, there is a disjoint there, right? Because for some of us, like you and I, like the discovery is of food, of new foods and new beverages is one of our big joys. Yes. So seeing someone miss out on that, uh, you know, what appears to be intentionally when it's like exactly, a exactly, situation, yeah. I think it, it, doesn't quite compute. The other thing that was interesting for me in this article is that they're, I don't think it's been confirmed, but they're looking into whether this is actually a, an eating disorder. Right. Right. Like a, right. Like a, uh, a diagnosable thing. Right. 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 A biological treatable mm-hmm. condition called selective eating disorder. And uh, also interesting. And this is a piece that you know, it's certainly on my mind when I, mm-hmm. when I encounter this sort of issue is that, you know, there's a whole school of thought that this is really uh, a privileged position and that right. only people in yes, of course. Uh, North of America course. or in areas where they have access to a wide range of foods and, you know, don't have to, you know, settle for what there's no is desperation around their home. Then right. that opens the door for the possibility of, you know, then becoming picky and that mm-hmm. this is, and so I think that's another piece of maybe why there's a, there's a lot of, uh, just a lot of judgment yes. around this sort of thing. And I was, it actually, I was, you know, the article was really well written. Mm-hmm. And what I appreciated was this woman being so upfront about the shame. Yeah, it sounds like a bit of a misery. Like all socializing sounds like it's really difficult for, for this woman and her husband, right? very, I think, important 
to read that and to compute, you know, like you, I had a bit of a journey through the article. I was like, right. This person is confronted all the time. This, you know, they've lived this way their whole life. Yes. Uh, now listen, I will say, I will say, uh, it was sweet that they tried to suggest this, but I am not buying this idea that it is some sort of lower carbon impact, smaller footprints. I wondered right? about, I wanted and to I ask like, you about that because you've gone too far. You've gone too far because there's way too many variables, first of all, and like, stop trying to pin some other kind of virtue on this. Just be allowed to have your choices and your preferences. And that's cool. Just by, you know, that's enough. Oh, good. Cause uh, I was going to ask you about that. Cause I, I read the no. sentence. I was like, what? No How Come is on. that? I couldn't that's think like of, a, you know, at point of purchase and throw it on, you know, argument, but that's the, come on. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's not, it's not standard or provable. Like what are those 14 things? What if they're all imported? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's, we have no idea uh, what those 14 things are. So I, I don't think this needs to be an argument. I think, like you said, People can, if the person is happy, reasonably healthy, what's the problem? Um, so yeah, listeners, if you come across an article and you'd like to hear our take on it, please email it to us. We're at contact.hotplatepod at gmail.com. So Joshna, when you think of spirits from Scotland, I'm assuming your mind goes to scotch. Always. But did you know that Scotland is also a big gin producer? I, I had no idea, actually. Yeah, and I, I remember in the Chocolate Brewing Witches episode, we talked about that negative carbon footprint gin. Yes, yes, and yes. I, and I remember being surprised that it was from Scotland. That's but right, that's right. That 70% of the gin made in the UK is made in Scotland. That was, uh, that was very, very surprising. When I read that too, and I was like, I was like, how have I not had this not like, that seems a bit crazy. Yeah, I was very surprised. And there's so much uh, gin, in fact, that they actually have like gin regions. Yes. <laughs> in Scotland. Now, they're not clean cut. And I, you know, I'm going to issue a caveat because even with Scotch now, uh, which traditionally has like the Highland, Lowland, Island, Speyside, like those regions, mm-hmm. um, the current thinking is moving away from thinking about them in, in regions. So, um, you know, from this article, I also was wondering if these gin regions will stick so, and the, it was a the, bit of a gray zone. Tell me about this, right? The, the thinking moving away is just about the reality, which has had much more transplantation of stuff and the idea, the integrity of these regions are no longer separate things. Well, the, you know, previously we would categorize scotches as being, you know, highland scotches have these traits. Lowland scotches have these right. traits. You know, side scotches have these traits. Islay scotches have these traits. Okay. And, you know, that is true to a certain extent, but there are exceptions and it's a, it's an oversimplification. And so, okay. you know, more recently, okay. Okay. you know, some, there, there are books that, that have been published that are sort of moving away from that and just saying, let's just examine each scotch for its own merit and not try to wedge it into this and uh, to this, cat, into it's, this it's category classification. That, it, okay. that it may or may not fit I into. Understand that. Okay. I have sort of foolishly and naively always understood that gin was about juniper. Ah. Right? And so this, yeah. the lesson here, it sounds like from the, from the like dreamy descriptions on all of these botanicals, it sounds like if you line these gins up, they all have quite distinct different flavors. Yes. Right? And that was a new idea. The idea that a variety of botanicals are involved and that gin, 
that the the gin is like the final destination, that flavor, but the road that you take to get there is there is much more diverse than I was understanding. And that was very, uh, and that like, to me, that's, that's what made Scotland make sense, right? Because even though we're kind of moving away from this classification piece, we hear so much about the terroir, about the things that yes. in that land, right? And so because of that, it makes sense that all of these botanicals would be there and that this would work this way, right? But I was like, we have, we've not fully understood what that land offers. It's not just scotch. Yeah, yeah. I was so I was looking at the list, and the, I mean, a huge array of botanicals. Yeah. But some of them were pretty predictable. Heather was one of them, yes. and I certainly I've had many Heather beers, so quite familiar with that flavor. There Heather were also beer. a number of thistles. Yes. Uh, thistle being yes, the flower yes, yes. of Scotland, that kind of makes yep. sense. There were also some gins with kelp, which I know uh, I saw again that. I was makes interested. sense. Totally. Um, but yeah, to your earlier point. I did sort of do a little dig to try to better understand, you know, what is the definition of gin? And yeah. gin certainly seems to be a much more loosey-goosey it is category. So a, a more like botanical infusion of a thing as it opposed is, to uh, okay. a spirit distilled from grain. My understanding is it should be a grain spirit that's distilled till it's clear and then uh, infused with botanicals. Right. And I think Gin is seeing a very interesting moment right now. Well, well, right now, I would say the past couple of years, to yes. be fair, because uh, craft distilling is becoming more and more of a thing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the laws are being changed, certainly here in Canada uh, and in the U.S. and in other areas as well. Craft distilling is picking up steam. And when you're craft distilling, other uh, spirits, for, for example, whiskey, have very strict rules. And some of those yes. rules involve aging, right? Right, right. right. You can't yes. brew a scotch. You can't, sorry, brew. You can't distill a scotch and release it the next year mm -hmm. and call it a scotch. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. a lot of these distilleries are, of course, making those scotches. But in the years that they're waiting, or or you know, or the bourbons or whatever it is, they're they're making. They they need to sell something. So what can you sell? White, uh, yes. vodka which, you know, will take you only so far and it, gin, yeah. which is this more loosey goosey category. And That's we right. are seeing really cool gins from different parts of the world that are taking, you know, like Scotland, where they're using local botanicals. I know, you know, I've had gins from New Zealand with New Zealand hops. And we Ooh. have that gin here in Canada that's made with foraged plants. I want to get my hands on some of this Scottish gin. I'm so curious about this flavor now. While they're still holding, the different regions did sound interesting. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and the one I was most drawn to was the Loch Lomond, Argyle, and Stirlingshire region, where mm -hmm. they tend to use wild water mint, lemon balm, meadowsweet, heather flowers, sea buckthorn, yes, and bog myrtle. So oh it just sounds like minty, citrusy. I don't know. I'd, I'd be very curious to try. With a bit of the tart fruit, the right? Because yeah. this thorn has that tart berry kind of vibe. When um, we can get on a plane again. Right. Or maybe <laughs> uh, maybe or they'll do some exporting. Seriously. I love that. Hopefully. If you're enjoying our podcast, please support us at patreon.com slash hotplatepod. Hotplate is part of the Frequency Podcast Network. 
please consider leaving us a rating or review. It helps others find us. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at HotPlatePod. Follow me at Beerology on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And follow Joshna at Joshna Maharaj on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Original music by Dave Bell. Hot Plate is produced by Mirella Amato, that's me, and Dennis Coyne. Thanks for listening.